Uh, well, good morning, Brook Hills. So great to see you. Glad that you are in worship today. Uh, let me invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we're beginning a new series this morning that we're calling Live Sent. And so just a word about that uh, as we move ahead, move along in our year-long emphasis of going strong to our community. Uh, we thought it would be both helpful and timely to uh, insert a short uh, seven or so week series uh, that would get at some of the practical aspects of what it means uh, to live as a faithful gospel witness in the regular rhythms of daily life. And so here on the heels of our Acts series, we want to ask this question, and what does this actually look like day to day? Because when we read the Gospels and we look at the instruction that Jesus gave to his followers, as well as the uh, events immediately after his resurrection, we see very clearly that it is a high priority on the Lord's agenda for those who follow him to tell others about him. And I think most of us can tend to overcomplicate what it means to live as a faithful witness in the regular rhythms of daily life. We mistakenly think that we need to be prepared to wax eloquently on every tenet of the Christian faith. Uh, or we somehow treat salvation as if it's something that we're responsible to argue a person into, right? And we come to this conclusion that this is obviously something that should only be handled by a licensed professional, and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, there's certainly a sense in which we want to be persuasive with our message. That's not wrong. And we want to communicate the gospel with clarity and with confidence. But you and I are not the ones who make hearts receptive or open blind eyes. No, that's the job of our silent partner in this endeavor, the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, our job, this is in your notes, our job is to live out our faith with integrity, to speak often about the difference Jesus has made in our lives, and share the hope of the gospel with humility and respect. And beyond that, we ask the Holy Spirit to do His work of illuminating and drawing and convicting, and we trust God with the outcomes. Well, in our text, uh, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome along with Timothy as a result of the message they had been preaching, and he's writing to a group of believers, a church in the city of Colossae. And Paul had gotten word that the church was dealing with an issue of heresy that was beginning to creep in among them. There were false teachers who were denigrating the deity of Jesus, and they were attempting to teach that he wasn't actually God. And so the church having a right view of Christ was not only going to strengthen their, their doctrine, but it would ultimately inform and impact every area of life. 
So with that backdrop, let me read for us uh, this morning verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4. The Word of God says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I think a good summary of this paragraph in Colossians 4 is that the first half of it is Paul teaching the church how to talk to God about people, and the back half of the paragraph is Paul teaching the church how to talk to people about God. Well, this morning, uh, we're specifically going to focus in on verses 3 and 4 as we think about this idea of gospel doors and the important role that praying for opportunities plays if you and I are indeed going to live as faithful gospel witnesses in the regular rhythms of daily life. And so three encouragements for us to consider. The first is this, church, let's consistently pray for open doors. Consistently pray for open doors. Paul was challenging the Colossian church to be a prayerful people. He knew that they would need access to the power of God and the culture that they were living in. Uh, He also knew that it was highly likely that their faith was going to be tested just as his faith was being tested. And so a commitment to prayer was going to be absolutely essential. And then there in verse 3, Paul adds his own personal prayer request to the list. He says in verse 3, pray also for us that God may open a door to us. Now, I'm intrigued by Paul's use of this word picture, a door. You and I see and pass through dozens of doors every single day. And the same was likely true for Paul. Uh, Calculations by uh, an expert mathematician estimate that there may be as many as 42 billion doors on the planet. That's a lot of doors, right? But what's the purpose of a door? Ultimately, doors let things in and doors keep things out, right? They allow or deny access. Fundamentally, that's what doors do. Well, three other times in the New Testament, Paul uses this same image and idea. In Acts 14, at the end of the first missionary journey with Barnabas, Paul reports back to the church in Antioch, and the Bible says, after they arrived, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door, and the result was faith. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul explains his travel plans like this. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide open door for effective ministry has opened for me. 
And so here the open door is some sort of ideal set of circumstances that is causing Paul's work to be especially fruitful. And then again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened a door for me. Again, conditions changed and the way was paved by God for Paul to be effective in advancing the gospel. And so when Paul pleads with the Colossians here, pray also for us that God may open a door, we can take him to mean that when Christians pray for gospel opportunity, something happens. God gets involved, and he changes circumstances and attitudes, and he creates a receptivity to the word so that instead of hitting a wall the gospel finds an opening, and it becomes unusually effective. Well, the door is apparently closed to Paul at the moment, and we don't know exactly why. It could be political opposition. It could be social or cultural barriers. Uh, It could be bad weather for all we know. It could be any number of things that would make evangelism difficult from a human perspective. And maybe Paul feels like he hasn't had access to certain people or places, and so he is asking God to clear a path. Whatever the case, Paul believed that God was sovereign over any and all of these circumstances. And he believed that God could remove obstacles and he could remove resistance when his people asked him to do so. But the very fact that an apostle, an apostle would ask Christians, ordinary Christians, to pray for his evangelistic opportunity and effectiveness is really pretty amazing. It's almost as if he's saying, folks, I'm helpless. I can't do this if you don't ask God to help me. And what's amazing is that a man of Paul's spiritual maturity and gifting felt so desperately dependent on the prayers of others for his effectiveness in ministry. I read one pastor who said, evangelism without prayer is a perfect waste of time. That it is nothing more than the inflated ego of man and the spiritually dead energy of the flesh. Because you see, evangelism is spiritual work that requires spirit-filled believers trusting God to open doors and prepare hearts. Paul wanted open doors for sure, but he wanted to be very certain that they would be doors the Lord had opened. And so he asked for prayer. Well, along with our consistent prayer, I think it's also essential for us to, secondly, comprehend the purpose of open doors. The purpose of open doors. What kind of open door is Paul praying for? It's interesting to me that a man who sits in a prison isn't praying for an open door to his jail cell. So what's Paul after, ultimately? And what kind of mischief is he up to should God determine to open 
said door. Well, there's a reason. There's a, a so that that is connected to Paul's prayer for open doors. It tells us why this is so important to us. It tells us what he intends to do when it happens. Because you see, hang with me. We're not called to simply admire the view through a door that God opens. It's a door, not a window. And we're not called to deeply contemplate the door or to toss something through the door. We're certainly not supposed to shove someone else through the door, right? <laughs> Paul has one goal. He has one singular purpose. Paul wants the door open so that, the text says, he might step through it and speak the mystery of Christ. Now, the word mystery here, it doesn't mean what it, it does in your favorite whodunit novel or at your local escape room, right? Paul typically uses this word when he has in mind a truth that was formerly hidden but has now been made known in Jesus Christ. And so the mystery of Christ is the revelation of what God has done in and through his Son to make the atonement for sin and to make forgiveness and to make a restored relationship back to him all possible. It's what we call the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to know it's available to you today if you are here and separated from God. And if you're here and separated from God and you would turn from your sin and place your trust, your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, not anything you have done, but only what he has done on your behalf, then you know what? He takes your punishment because of his death on the cross, and he transfers his righteousness to you so that you might be restored back to God. It's the good news, and it's available to you. But here's the point the text is making. Paul is praying for open doors so that he'll have the opportunity to proclaim the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. He's praying so that he might proclaim. Romans 10, 14, Paul presents us with an important question there. He says, how can they believe without hearing about him and how can they hear without a preacher? See, we can't miss this today. It, as faithful gospel witnesses, we must get to the speaking part. That's ultimately what Paul was after, right? The opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. But notice something else. He's asking for prayer also to be able to do it effectively. He says, pray so that I may make it known. Some translations say, pray that I make it clear. Do you remember what the letter's all about? He's trying to make sure that there is clarity and understanding about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so with this prayer request, he's saying, pray that God will give me the right words to say. And pray that I'll say them in the right way and at the right time. And ask God to help me be clear with my words. A temptation is to assume uh, 
Paul's a pro, right? He's got this. I mean, he's probably done the little diagram on a napkin a hundred times by now. He, he could totally give this speech in his sleep. So, what is it exactly that would keep Paul from clearly proclaiming a message that he likely knows like the back of his hand? We don't know exactly. The text doesn't tell us. Perhaps he anticipated trick questions. Perhaps he anticipated hostile pushback of some kind, and he needs God to help him discern and see through any deception. Perhaps he sensed the importance of using just the right illustration or parable. But again, think about what's happening here. The greatest preacher and missionary who ever lived says the effectiveness of his gospel communication depends on the prayers of the church. And if that's true for Paul, then it's true a hundred times over for you and me, right? And so let's consistently pray for open doors. Let's comprehend, understand the purpose of open doors. And then third, let's commit to pursue open doors. Pursue. There's a short little phrase, three words, there at the end of verse 4. It says, as I should, that I may make it known as I should. Some translations use the word ought, ought to. Notice the sense of responsibility and duty that Paul feels. He's compelled by this. He's saying, this is something I know I need to be doing. If I'm going to live as a faithful gospel witness, if the Great Commission is going to play out in my life, then I need to be seeking out and stepping through doors of opportunity that God puts before me. By the way, asking for prayer like this is nothing new for the Apostle Paul. He, he says to the Ephesian church in chapter 6 of his letter to them, he says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth, there's the speaking part again, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, pray that I might be bold enough to speak it as I should. See, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that if God opens a door, He wants us, He expects us to walk through it. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself at the threshold of an open door like we're talking about, just kind of paralyzed? I, I'm not quite sure what to do, how to do, if I should do anything. You might be the one who assumes that if, if the Lord really wants me in there, then surely He'll just teleport me to the other side. He, he can do that, right? He's God. For some of us, if we sit there long enough, we can convince ourselves that door really isn't open after all. But friends, doors that God opens are meant to be passed through. William Carey, the pioneering missionary to India, first proposed the, the idea of sending Christians to unreached places. And when he did, an older pastor reportedly said to him, sit down, young man, sit down and be still. 
When God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And while you and I would likely never make a statement like that, I do think we have our own ways of allowing God's providence to lull us into laziness or passivity. And we can rationalize our way out of our evangelistic responsibility because I think many of us pray about open doors differently than Paul did. See, Paul prayed for open doors for sure, but then do you know what he did? He got about the business of turning some door handles. And too many Christians, I think, stand out at the curb at a safe distance just watching and waiting for a holy wind to blow the door down. So I wanted to share with that person, but there just wasn't an open door. And what we really mean is, when we say something like that, there was no obvious orchestration of events. There were no divine alarms or blinking lights that made my path forward unmistakably risk-free. Author Scott Hubbard from Desiring God, he says it like this, Providence, if distorted, can excuse us from all manner of uncomfortable duties. See, God's providence is not simply something that we react to. God's plan may be for the door to open only after we approach it, turn the handle, and push. Well, that's a word about God's providence. Let's think for a minute about God's sovereignty. And by sovereignty, we mean His complete lordship and control and authority over all creation. And that everything that happens, happens according to his plan and his intention. God's sovereignty. Well, as it pertains to evangelism, I do think there are two ditches that we need to avoid. One ditch says God is sovereign over those who will be saved. That's true. That's not the ditch, okay? The ditch is when we conclude that if it's God's will for that person to be saved then me getting involved really isn't all that necessary because it's going to happen with or without me, God's sovereign. The other ditch says God is sovereign over my life. That's also true. That's not the ditch. But he put me here in the cubicle next to this guy, and so this must be all on me. This is the moment, and if I botch this, he may end up in hell. You see, a misguided understanding of God's sovereignty, on one hand, may lead us to abdicate our responsibility as a faithful witness. On the other hand, lead us to somehow think we get the credit for someone's salvation. But a right understanding says, yes, God alone is the one who saves. And also, yes, God is the one who put me in their life to be a faithful witness. Yes and yes. Rico Tice, in his book, Honest Evangelism, he says this, it's no accident that you know the people you do. It's no accident that they're in your path. They need the gospel. You know the gospel. God wants them to hear the gospel. 
And so if all of that's true, then I want us to think just for a moment practically about this pursuit of open doors. Because if you're standing in front of a locked door and someone tosses you a set of keys, what do you do? You begin trying them, don't you? And you try every key on the ring if need be. That is, if you really do want in. God can open doors any way and at any time he chooses. Let's establish that. But with that said, I believe there are at least five things, we'll call them keys, five keys that God often uses to open doors for gospel witness. So let's look at these briefly. Number one, we'll call the key of proximity. The key of proximity. And for some of us, we simply need to begin by changing our location and where we spend our time. One of the reasons that we don't feel very effective as a faithful witness is because we're only ever around other believers. And it's highly unlikely that we will find open doors if we're not around people who don't know Christ. Jesus said, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Say it a different way. That door at Publix is not going to open if you just sit in the parking lot. You see, your your proximity is directly related to the likelihood of it opening. And the same is true with our evangelism. Key of proximity. Secondly, we'll call it the key of conversation. The key of conversation. See, we need to be in the habit of meeting new people. And as we get in their proximity, we need to learn some new names, and we need to call people by name, and we need to slow down long enough to actually talk. Lost art in today's culture, a conversation. Be interested in other people, ask good questions, talk about things that matter, and see where the Lord might take it. A friend said to me recently, if we're ever going to move from casual conversation to spiritual conversation, we have to at some point begin having meaningful conversation, right? That's the second key. Third one we'll call the key of service. The key of service. In the South, we love to serve and help others, don't we? Uh, Providing a meal, Uh, running an errand, helping with a repair, watching someone's kids, helping someone move. We don't love that one, but it's still uh, something that we do. And most of us know how to do this, and we're fairly comfortable with it. But a question is, are we building margin into our lives to do this sort of thing, and are we doing it with eyes toward open doors? In other words, are we thinking about the so that that's associated with our act of kindness or does it mostly just end there? See, serving people opens doors. Another one is the key of an invitation. The key of an invitation. One of the easiest things we can do 
particularly where we live, is to invite someone to church, to a worship service, to a Bible study or or group meeting or a special event of some kind. It's pretty low risk in uh, the community that we live in. But after we do this, are, are we intentional to follow up? Are we intentional to say, hey, let's grab lunch or coffee. We'd love to talk about what your experience was, answer any questions that you might have. And, you know, you could start with something really easy like a trunk or treat event. Hey, your kids like lots of candy? Come hang out with us and uh, love to, to bring you up to our church. We have a great night coming up at the end of October. It's an invitation, an opportunity to follow up. And then to say, hey, remember that thing uh, up at our church we had back in October? Well, we do a thing on Christmas Eve. And uh, if you don't have anything going on that night and you're looking for uh, something to do with your family, come join us. We have a great Christmas service and carols and, and so forth. We'd love for you to come. And maybe that gives way to, we have a family member that is going to be baptized uh, on a Sunday coming up here in a few weeks. It would mean a ton to them if you would come and watch their baptism. Would you be open to that? Would you be willing to do that? Hey, Easter, uh, after you've done some of this other, Easter Sunday, how about joining us for worship and then come over to our house and, and we'll grab lunch afterwards. We'd love to hang out with your family. It's the key of an invitation. Lastly, the fifth one we'll call the key of hospitality. And we're going to actually take some time and address this one more fully, more specifically later in the series. But suffice it to say for now, doors for the gospel begin to open when the doors to our homes begin to open. It's amazing what happens when you invite someone over for dinner. And you say, I don't cook. It's amazing what happens when you order a pizza and have someone over to share it. You schedule a, a play date with your kids and, and brew a pot of coffee and, and drink that together while the kids play. You ask a group of guys to come over and watch the ball game down in the man cave. And then you see what kinds of doors God might open. Now watch this. Think of the possibilities for open doors when you begin to link some of these things together. I think we might be surprised to see how one key often gives way to another. Let me show you what I mean. Proximity, you begin to get close to people who don't know Christ, and now there's an opportunity for a conversation. And it begins casually, but as you move into meaningful conversation, you then discover there's a chance to meet a need. There's a chance to serve my friend or my neighbor in a practical way. And after you serve that and begin to kind of share life on that level, it makes sense to say, y'all come over for dinner next week. We'll grill out and have a great time. And as they're headed home that night, say, hey, one Sunday, would y'all come worship with us? We would love to have you as our guests on a Sunday. Do you see how one gives way to the other? They don't have to go in that order, but what would the possibilities be, Brooke Hills, if we put some intentionality behind this and, and added the prayers of our faith family to the mix? Let me tell you a story of a door that God recently opened in my life. I'd been praying for a couple of months this summer that God would provide me with 
new opportunities for gospel witness. And I was hiking out at Oak Mountain State Park one day back in August, and that day I went a little longer than I had originally planned and actually took a route back to the trailhead that I don't often take. And I'm probably 10 minutes or so from being done, and I come across a husband and wife uh, that are just getting started, super energetic and and uh, making it up the hill. I said a quick hello, as I, uh, as I often do on the trail, and they stopped me with a question or two about the trail. It was obvious they had not been out there much and just wanted some directions. And so not terribly uncommon, but they were very friendly. And so as we chatted for a minute, I realized that he was training to hike Mount Kilimanjaro a mere 19,000-foot mountain in Africa, right? A bit different than the White Trail uh, out at Oak Mountain. But I also realized here in August and his trip in October that this was his first time out to train. I hear some of the moans (laughs) for those of you who can feel that. So I was able to share a little bit about a trekking trip that I was a part of several years ago in Nepal. Uh, I didn't share share everything. Um, I didn't want him to be discouraged. Uh, But somewhere in the conversation, his wife asked me, she said, do you hike out here very often? And I said, I I try to. I live close by here. I wish I did more than I I do. And it was like a light bulb went off above her head, and suddenly she said, you two ought to get together and and hike, and and you could help him get ready for his trip. And you wives in the room know what's happening here, right? You know that she is looking for a way to get out of all these encouragement hikes with her husband. What she didn't know is that she was actually swinging a door wide open. And we talked a bit longer about work and family, and then we exchanged phone numbers, and we agreed to get in touch. And, and I'm driving home, and God says, it was not audible. It, it felt very clear to me, though, as though, as though God says, hey, Dennis, how's that for an open door? And about a week later, we met early on a Saturday morning. He brought a friend, which was a slight bummer, uh, because that changed a little bit of the dynamics of the conversation. But nevertheless, we hiked and we talked for about three hours. And we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about his upcoming trip and, and family and food and college football and Alabama and India, which is where he and his wife are from. And so we also talked about Hinduism and temples and even death for a few minutes. Here's the deal. I don't have a story for you today of my new friend praying to trust Christ at sunrise up at King's Chair. I don't even have a story of having shared the gospel with him in a complete fashion. Yet, I did ask a couple of questions that day related to religion and death, but that was about it. Uh, He left for his big hike this past week, 
And I sent him a, a text on the, the morning he left. I let him know that I was thinking about him, told him I'd love to connect when he got back, see some of his pictures, and hear about his experience. And why do I tell you that story? Because it sounds like it doesn't have an ending. It sounds like it just kind of stops. I tell you that story, Brooke Hills, because I want you to see. I want you to see that God wants to open doors in my life and your life and across this community. And after that day, you cannot convince me otherwise. I'm in the middle of the stinking woods on top of a mountain and God sends a couple across my path after I'd been praying for an open door where a woman says, hey, you're gonna hang out with my husband. Gospel doors. Let's pray for them. Let's know their purpose. Let's relentlessly pursue them and then Let's be ready. Let's be ready when God opens them. And so, Brooke Hills, if we want to do this thing, if we really do want to live as faithful gospel witnesses in the regular rhythms of daily life, if we really are serious about this, let, let me challenge you, us, today with four brief takeaways, and we'll be done. First is this. Let's establish a culture of praying for one another's evangelistic efforts. See, I find it interesting that Paul's prayer request here was not for the unsaved. It, it was for believers. It was for believers to have an open door, an opportunity to share Christ with those who don't know him. And don't misunderstand, it's good to pray for the salvation of souls. We see it at other places in the New Testament, but that's not what he was doing here. And so as we pray, let's pray for these three things. Let's pray for boldness, for opportunities, and for wisdom. B-O-W, bow. Three words that we hope will become regular prayer handles for us as a church over the course of this coming year. And so let's pray that God will open doors of opportunity to us and that we will be bold and courageous and wise and discerning in stepping through those doors. Because church, we need a culture of praying for our evangelistic efforts. I think we generally do well most of the time praying for missionaries and our efforts on the other side of the world. I think we're pretty faithful most of the time in praying for the needs of one another within our church, but I do think this that we have been talking about this morning is an area of growth for us. And so I want you to think about a door that you pass through often in a given week. Maybe one comes to mind even in the moment. Maybe it's a door at work or at school. Maybe it's a door at a gym that you're at daily or a coffee shop that you frequent. Maybe it's the front door of your house as you step out into your neighborhood. What if, what if every time we walked through these doors that are in our minds, we prayed, God, give me and my Brook Hills family open doors of opportunity today. 
And what if we prayed when we walked out that door, God, help me and my small group, me and my brothers and sisters at Brook Hills, be bold and wise as we step through doors that you open for us. It's creating a culture of praying for evangelistic efforts. Secondly, let's slow down and pay attention to a community full of doors. They're everywhere. There may not be 42 billion in Birmingham, but there are a lot. Your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, the gym where you work out, the park where your kids play, the coffee shop, the grocery store, your favorite restaurant, the golf course, the pickleball court, the hunting club. God loves to open doors. I actually think it's one of his favorite things to do. And so let's slow down and pay attention. Thirdly, let's take some risks and turn some handles. Take some risks and turn some handles. You know, our our theology, what we believe about God, really does inform our evangelism. We talked about God's providence, God's sovereignty, but have have you ever thought about the fact that what we believe about the Holy Spirit impacts our witnessing? Because if we believe that the Spirit of God indwells every believer when they are saved, and we do, and if we believe that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to empower us and go with us as we seek to be faithful gospel witnesses, and he does, if we really believe this, then Brook Hills, we can with confidence start inserting some keys, turning some handles, and taking some risks. And then lastly, let's agree that success is found in our faithfulness, not results. Remember where we started today. Our job is to live out our faith with integrity, speak often about the difference Jesus has made in our lives, and share the hope of the gospel with humility and respect. Beyond that, we ask the Spirit of God to illuminate, draw, and convict, and we trust God with the outcomes. And so, Brook Hills, if, if we want to live sent, if by God's grace we want to go strong to our community, it begins right here.